All right, John 1. Title of the sermon is, Who is Jesus? By the way, wasn't that cool? Just what just happened? Wasn't that neat? This is how the body of Christ functions. This is how we work. And so on a Sunday morning, we want to make room for that. And also through your lives through the week, when there's fellowship time after this, keep, keep that up. Keep going. Uh, follow the leading of the Lord. Who is Jesus? Sermon title. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are in our midst, that you, uh, that you help us and that you uh, remind us of your word. And uh, think about what Jacinta said and just the fact that, uh, you know, there are so many things we think are below you when it comes to the things we pray about. But there's so many things that are so small that we feel warrant our worry and anxiousness. And so somehow we, we think that there are more, th- that, that these things that aren't significant enough to bring to you warrant us worrying about. And so God, the, if there's anything that, that, that your people are right now even scared or anxious or worrying about, anxiousness, even if it's just for a time, that, that worry, that God, you just flood peace into our hearts right now. And just, just lead us. Holy Spirit, help me as I'm preaching. Uh, we, you invite us every single week into wonder, into wonder, into awe. And help us as we hear your word, just to be changed, to be renewed, refreshed. Just work powerfully. I trust God that you're going to. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, I love the word wonder. Just prayed it. Uh, one of the things about little kids that you see when it's snowing, or even when you snow as, as you see snow as an adult, uh, it brings back a sense of wonder, even if you, if you don't like it. Um, being out in it, at least, uh, unless you're like a gargoyle, you think snow is pretty. Uh, it is at least pretty to look at. Uh, there's a sense of wonder that happens when the snow is coming down, the fireplace is going, there's chili on the, on the stove, uh, you have cookies and all sorts of bad junk food to eat, but there's just a sense of wonder and awe. Uh, you see it in kids all the time. And I think in the scriptures, the, the scriptures are inviting us over and over and over again into wonder, into awe, into being like a little child, not childish, but childlike. And to coming to God's Word and just standing there and being reminded again of how good and big God is. And the book of John is going to do that time and time again. It's going to invite us into wonder and into awe. We're going to look at passages and we're going to want to figure them all out and untie the knots. Or we're going to look at a passage and want to take one part of the passage and throw it away and then take the other part and say, yes, I like it. But the wonder that God is inviting us into through the book of John is to just stand in awe of God's Word. And just stand in awe of who God is. And we get invited into that at the very beginning of John chapter 1. Who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And what is He like? Let's read the passage and then we'll go systematically through it. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. We're actually going to read all the way down through verse 18. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, not anything that was made was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all may believe through Him. He was not the light, but He came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. Yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John bore witness about him and cried out, This is this was he whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So I want, to, I want us to come to this passage, I want us to come to this book, this whole series as we come to the Gospel of John, with fresh eyes. And remember, John is writing as an evangelist. He's writing that people may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Believe that Jesus is, in fact, God in the flesh. And he wants us to keep believing and that through believing in him, we would have life in his name. We talked about that last week. If you missed that, we will have it on the website this week. But his goal is evangelism and instruction. Evangelism and instruction. So he wants to evangelize the lost, and he wants those who trust in Jesus as the Messiah, he wants those to continue to believe in him and then to have life in his name. And so the non-Christian is going to be confronted, even this morning, if you're here this morning with us, confronted with some truth claims, and they are to be accepted or rejected. These things that we're going to hear in the gospel, uh, you're, you're not to just sit on the fence, you're not just to look at it and think, eh, maybe, maybe not. You're either to accept it or reject it. The claims that Jesus makes demand a response, demand a person to either accept it or to reject it, but, but not stay neutral. Not just kind of hear it, wash your hands with it, and wash, walk, walk away unmoved. And then the Christian is going to be instructed, even trained, in evangelism as we experience life in Jesus' name. So as we go through this letter, we're going to be trained in how to evangelize as we are instructed on how to have life in His name. So we're going to get training, and we're going to get instruction on how to have life in His name. And remember, theology is important when it comes to evangelism. We see it here today. We, we get into the de deep end of theology, the Trinity, and the two natures of Jesus. And John's point is to instruct people who don't know Him. So we don't have to silly things down to do evangelism. He is expecting us to think deeply as the Holy Spirit leads. He's expecting the Holy Spirit to come to bring life to dead ears and to dead hearts, to bring the truth to their mind and transform their lives through the preaching of deep theological truth that he lays out even here today. So starting in verse 1 and 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, who is the Word? Remember, we're coming at this with fresh eyes as if we've never heard it before, as if we've never read it before. So if you were to keep on reading in verse 14, we get this, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is Jesus. Jesus is the Word. And Jesus is God, and He was with God in the beginning. Now think through this with me. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember the invitation into wonder? The invitation into stepping into a Narnia-like world of God's Word. And you step into this truth that, God, that Jesus was with God, and He was God. Now how can you be with, and how can you be God? Well, this is the nature of the... Godhead, the nature of the God of the Bible. 
which distinguishes the Christian faith from all other faiths in the world. We believe that God is Trinity. That there are three persons, but there, and each person is fully God, but there is only one God. We are monotheists. Jesus, in the beginning, is said to be with God, and He is God. Jesus is God. And you remember the whole point of the book of John being written is that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Okay, John's intention in the end of the book, as he kind of writes it from the beginning, is that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is God in the flesh. And here in the beginning, he is stating his purpose. Jesus is God. Do you see why you can't remain neutral with the claims of Christ? If somebody walked in here this morning and said, I'm God, would you remain neutral? Or would you say, you are a crazy wackadoo. You need to either walk out, but we don't want to listen to you. If somebody claims these claims, makes these claims, you, you process, you consider, you observe, but you don't just stay neutral. He either is who he says he is, or he's not. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, an interesting side note, and for the sake of brevity, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give a printout to you. You can pick it up on the, on the, uh, on the resource table as you walk out. Uh, the Jehovah's Witness, if you ever have a Jehovah's Witness walk, on your do- walk up to your door and, and knock on the door, uh, they'll have a Bible version with them, their version, and they will read it to you. And one of the first places they start is John chapter 1. And this is just for your information. They, they, their translation is translates as follows. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. The Word was a God, not the Word was God. Now, Wayne Grudem has done a really good job explaining why that translation is an error. And these are going to be, these two pages right here, you walk out there, like I said, on the research table, and if you'll just take those and read those, and just keep those on your shelf or in your back pocket or whatever, not to be combative, but to be informed. If you ever have a Jehovah's Witness that walks to your door, you can explain that their translation is actually wrong, and there's not a single Greek scholar that would agree with that translation. So the, the starting point of John's letter is that Jesus is God. That the man, Jesus, was God. So if you want this, please grab it when, you're, when you walk out. And so we're invited into wonder. This is a massive, massive claim. In fact, we're told that all things were created through Jesus. There's nothing that exists that exists on its own. All of creation is dependent upon Jesus and has its origin in Him. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, Hank just walked out of the room, but he referenced this earlier. We're told that all things were created through Him. There it is again. All things in the beginning, all things were made through him. So through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, not anything was made that was made. Colossians says all things were made through him and for him. And for all the wondering in the world that people do about why they exist. Here's the answer to your question. You exist for Jesus. For his glory and his honor. Not for your fame or your honor. For your purposes, plans, or dreams. For His plans, purposes, glory, and honor. All things were made through Him and for Him. That's why everything that exists, exists. And then as we begin to fill in the gaps to the question, who is this Jesus and what is He like? We get introduced to some more interesting words in verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The key words are key words in this passage in the Gospel of John. Light, life, Darkness. 
We're going to see some of these words repeat themselves through the book, through the letter of John. And it's important that we see that Jesus is the light of men. Do you see that? And the life was the light of men. In Him was life. Now, there are a lot of, lot of beautiful and glorious things in creation. But there's only one thing that's created that gets stamped image of God. And that's you. And that's me. Humanity. Male, female. Fully equal, yet not the same. Uniquely different. So much more than equal. So much more than equal. Just to fight for equality doesn't do justice to the image of God. We are equal and we are male and female and there is so much dignity and beauty in that. You haven't just been made a personhood, just, just human. You are male and female. And of all creation, even the image of God is dependent upon God. We are dependent upon Him. Life is found in Jesus only not found in humanity itself. We are dependent upon something outside of ourselves. Even the pinnacle of creation. Jesus is the light of men, and light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome the light. Now, I'm so thankful for this, because Jesus' light is more powerful than my darkness. Jesus' light cannot become overcome by darkness. And if you do turn on the news... You see that there's a lot of darkness in our world. And the image of God has a way of sinning in terrible ways against each other. And I'm thankful that although darkness is rampant, God is still in control even over that. But God will win. And the darkest places in the world and the darkest heart in the world is not too dark for the grace of God to come in and turn the light on. The darkness that we see cannot overcome and is not, cannot overcome the light that Jesus possesses. Well, this light demands a witness. Uh, we are witnesses, friends. We have witnessed something. We have come to life. We have moved from death to life if you're a believer in Jesus. And John the Baptist is introduced here in this passage. We'll see more of John in the coming chapters. But John the Evangelist introduces us to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is a witness. And for the sake of time, you read this later. But Jesus demands a witness. He didn't come just to live a life and die in the place of actual sinners and then be forgotten. He died for sinners, ensuring that they would be saved. And we are now called to be witnesses of our Savior. We are called to witness in a living Graveyard. We're called to do something that we can't do on our own. Called to witness to people who reject God. We're called to go out into the darkness and bring this light. To point to Jesus. To call people to repent and to believe in Him. But here is the problem. As we do this, as we're called to go witness, this darkness that John has already alluded to, alluded to we find out how thick and how dark this world really is. I want you to look in verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world, look at this, did not know him. And he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Okay, Jesus comes, and he gives light to everyone. Now, what does that mean? 
that Jesus gives light to everyone. Who is this Jesus? Well, He is the giver of light. Well, there are two things, I think, from the rest of the Scriptures that we can understand that God does for everyone. The first being that He gives everyone moral law. Everyone in the world, every society in history recognizes that there are certain things that, that are right and certain things that are wrong. So one of the ways that Jesus, the true light, is giving light to everyone is giving every single person and every single society throughout this globe the common grace to identify that there are certain things that are wrong. And one of my favorite preachers said, if you ever are introduced to somebody who doesn't believe in right and wrong, if you'll just smack them across the face and steal their wallet, they will quickly agree that there are things that are wrong in this world. Moral law is intrinsic to the human being. We know instinctively, without having to read it anywhere, without even, to have the, without even having the Ten Commandments, in every society throughout the globe and all of history, there has been some moral law that has existed. There has been right and wrong. The second thing that I think when we're told that He brings light to everyone, I think the second thing is otherworldly longings. Ever otherworldly longings. All of the world has moral law. And all of the world has this intangible, can't put my finger on it thing inside of me that I just simply can't satisfy in this life. Even as a believer with the Spirit of God in us, within us, we know that there's something more coming. The restoration of all things is coming. Jesus is coming back. And we realize, even in our greatest experiences that we can have in this world, we realize there's something more. There's something more. And although we have experienced the God who is above the Son, because the God who is above the Son, above all things, has descended. Jesus, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. We have experienced our lives being transformed. We've experienced the forgiveness of our sins. We've experienced all the things, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that have been just showered upon us. We still know there's something more. Christ is coming. When we struggle in sin, we long. We just say, Jesus, come back. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Do you not long for the day? That Christ returns and you don't struggle with sin anymore? If you look to your left and look to your right, you think about the struggles that other people face, the sins, the battles. Don't you long for a day that you get to see the freedom of your friends and your family who love Jesus? There's something more. C.S. Lewis says it like this, Creatures are not born with desires. Desires, okay? unless satisfaction for these desires exists. A baby feels hunger, and they'll let you know about it, by the way. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such thing as water. And if I as a human find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And so, when we see that Jesus gives light to everyone, there is a sense in which everyone in this world has been a recipient of the grace of God because they understand moral law, whether they accept it or not. 
and they have longings placed within them. Eternity set in the heart of man, even though they don't seek it out and find it. Romans 1 says it like this, For the wrath of God is revealed against heaven and against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Because here's what happens in this world. It's not for lack of evidence. It's not for lack of apologetical uh, reasoning. The reason the world doesn't know God is because they see the truth that's in front of them and suppress it. And this is what you and I did for years before we were believers. We suppress the truth. Take what's plain, what's evident about God and this world, moral law and internal longings, and we reject it and repress it and don't even acknowledge it. It says that the world did not know God. People have rejected God. Look at that in verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. So here's the problem. The world doesn't know God. And yet it goes deeper. Verse 11, He came to His own, the Jewish people, and His own people did not receive Him. So here's the problem that humanity is faced with and that you and I have been faced with in our lives as well. The world has rejected Him and doesn't know Him. And even the Jewish people didn't receive Him. So if we put two and two together, or one and one together, one and one, two and two, whatever, everyone on their own misses Jesus. They either don't know Him or they have rejected Him, not received Him. So we have a problem before us. There's no chance for humanity to know God. On our own, there is no way for a human being to get to God. The world has not known Him and even the Jewish people have rejected Him. Truly, we are in a hopeless state. Humanity. Religion comes along. Other world religions says, no, you're not. You can do it. If you work hard, if you'll do the right things and and not do the wrong things, and I'm the one who gets to dictate to you what's right and wrong. If you'll follow this way, if you'll work really hard, if you'll self-sacrifice, by golly, you can get there. You can make it. Christianity is completely different. I mean, it's just complete. It's like it's a it's a totally different message than other global religions. Christianity looks at people square in the eyes and says, "You're hopeless. There's no hope for you on your own." But is that the end, or is there some sort of beautiful kind of twist here of irony, of grace, of supernatural truth in verse twelve? Here's this, and this is again the wonder. So nobody received Him and the world doesn't know Him, but still verse 12 exists. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name. Wait a minute, I thought nobody knew Him and nobody received Him, but now to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, something happens. Now isn't this interesting? He's not talking out of two sides of His mouth. Again, He's inviting us in to wonder. He's inviting us to think. Remember, this is written so people who had never heard anything about Jesus could look at it, inspect this book, and read and say, you know what? I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So this isn't just getting into deep end and and unimportant stuff here. This is important things for us to think through and to process. So nobody can believe, nobody believes in Him, the world doesn't know Him, but somehow or another we have this reality before us that there are people receiving Him and believing in Him and then being given the right to become children of God. 
the rest of verse 12. So the question that I have is how does a person who the world, the world doesn't know him and even his own people don't receive him, how can anybody ever believe in this Jesus? How can anybody ever receive? Because apparently there's a, a way to do it. The world doesn't know him. His people don't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in him, well, fortunately, we're told. Look at verse 13. Who were born. How were we born? We touched on this verse last week. Born. Who were born. Not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, here's the distinctiveness of Christianity. It says God has done something, that He's acted. That He's going to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. And global religion comes along and says, no, you can't. Work hard. Christianity, no, you can't. But God can. He is able. And He is not just able, He is willing. And He's not just willing, He's actually done something. Who were born not of blood. So again, we look at this, we looked at last week just quickly. We are born, how does a sinner come to believe and receive Jesus? Well, not by blood, so bloodlines. Not because you're born into this thing. Not by human willpower. Like, no human can just say, I want to believe in Jesus. Can't happen. It doesn't happen. And not by the wishes of others. So not by the will of man, but who are born of God. And so, the only way to receive and to believe is that God has to do something and we're introduced to this idea of being born again. You ever heard of it? Born again Christian. Have you been born again? Have you been brought from death to life? Born again. This is what God does to sinners. Regeneration, therefore, being born again, has to start before believing in Jesus starts. Until a sinner is made alive, a sinner will never believe in Jesus. A sinner will only hate God. But if God does something, if God comes and opens eyes, gives them a new heart, then all of a sudden uh, there's this thing called conviction that starts to matter to this person. All of a sudden when somebody tells them about Jesus, they're weeping rather than wanting, running or walking away. When God comes and does something to a human that a human can't do to him, him or herself, then they repent and believe. They have to be made new first and Christians are those who have been born of God and have believed and received in Jesus. And we can't take credit for it, friends. I said it last week. I'll say it again. Anybody here want to take credit for your conception physically? No, because you had nothing to do with it. Now, Here's how powerful the grace of God is. Anybody want to take credit for the life that you have in Christ? Because God has done it. He has done it. Jesus has been so gracious and come to a person who didn't want Him and made Him alive in Christ. And so we can either give God 99 hand claps, keep one for ourselves, or by the grace of God we can say, you know what, Jesus, just thank you. you. You did it all. Thank you for your grace. And in fact, we're told we go on to hear more things about Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? In verse 14 and 15, we're told that Jesus is fully God and He's fully man. We get invited to wonder even more. In verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son of God from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, as we go through this book, we're going to see over and over again what grace and truth 
looks like. Even when He turns, turns water into wine, grace and truth. When He turns over table and holy anger, turns over tables, grace and truth. When He weeps with Mary and Martha, grace and truth. He's full of it. He's full of it in the same way that He is fully God and fully man. Jesus, when coming to earth, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't lose His divinity. He gained humanity. And so these two truths are told in the beginning of this letter to the inquirer about Christianity, to the one who doesn't even know how to read very well, but is being told this by somebody else, or to the person who is a scholar in other disciplines in his or her life. They come to this and they're invited to think about the God who was God and is with God, and then about this Jesus who is fully God and fully man. Let me ask you this, is He fully God or is He fully man? Yes. How? Brilliant minds? We don't know. But He is. Wonder. Now this Jesus is full, like He is fully God and fully man, full of grace and truth. And as we continue to answer our question, who is Jesus and what is He like? We, we know that He's full of grace and truth and that is a wonderful thing. And then 16 and 17 Continue to answer that questions, those questions for us. Who is Jesus and what is He like? Verse 16, From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Jesus is the one in whom we have grace upon grace. You feel like you've used up all the grace that there is? Think again. You think you've backslidden too far? Think again. You think you've just sinned too much this week or last week? Think again. What's He like? Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. That's what He's like. Every believer in this room has received and is receiving grace upon grace. Law was given through Moses, but grace came. Grace has come not through Abraham, not through Adam, not through Noah, not through David, but through Jesus. And in fact, Jesus shows us what God the Father is like. No one has ever seen Jesus on the throne, the Godhead fully, on this earth, that's why you don't need to believe I went to heaven books because no one has seen that and come back to tell about it. But if you want to know what God is like, just look to Jesus. Just look to Him and you can find, find out. So who is Jesus and what is He like? He was God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. Jesus is eternal. He is eternal. He had no beginning. He has no ending. He is co-creator with God the Father. He has created all things, even you. He is the giver of light and life, not just to us, but to the world and all and any who would call upon His name. He is worthy of our witness. We are witnesses of His grace upon grace. He is fully God. He is fully man. He is full of grace and truth. He gives us grace upon grace and He shows us what God is like. So, who is Jesus and what is He like? Friends, we got a lot of fun going through the Gospel of John. 
And we're going to see some really wonderful things. And the question that I have for you is, by the grace of God, can we just come together and just learn again, afresh and anew, and just kind of stare and wonder at this Jesus? To fall in love with Him again? To be transformed by Him even more and more? And so, the therefore, to all of these things that Jesus is, who He is and what He's like, so the therefore, believe in Him. Receive Him. Will you do that if you haven't yet? He lived, Jesus lived and died in your place brutally on a cross. Believe in Him. Receive Him. His life, death, and resurrection, that is the Gospel, the good news. And if you do, if you believe in Him, if you receive Him, if you do what the world and what the Jews reject to do in suppressing the truth, if you, by the grace of God, don't do that, if you believe and receive you will soon discover that you believed here today or this week or during this series through the Gospel of John because God brought you to life, not because you brought yourself to life. And if you've believed already, then here's the deal. Keep believing and have life in His name. Let's just keep going back to Him. And let's keep looking to Him. He is, after all, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we are to look to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Where's your faith come from? Oh, the great author. Where is the perfecter come? Where, how do we grow? How do we gain, gain godliness? Oh, through looking to Jesus. So we get to enjoy Him. We get to enjoy His grace upon grace. And how about this? Let's get us some today. Let's sing and let's enjoy the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank